AdamandEve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm Horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. AdamandEve.com. We're not horrified at all. Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another episode of I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified. I'm your host, Allie Rayner. And I'm Sam Buntich. Not your host. <laughs> I don't, I always think when you introduce yourself as I'm your host, Allie Rayner, I just feel like. Yeah, that's me putting my foot down. Yeah. It's like, like, I'm your host and the only host. Yeah. Allie Rayner. And Sam, I don't know who that is. Yeah. I could start being like, I'm your hostess. Like, I strongly believe in gender roles, oh, but like, it's not how I feel. <laughs> no, um, we don't believe that. Especially because we both identify as women. That would just be a weird. Yeah, that would be a weird. <laughs> that'd be a weird foot to put down. So, yeah, anyways, welcome um, to episode 37 of this podcast. Of this podcast. We're happy to be here. Yes. Let's just get it kicked off. Should we just get right going? Should to we it? just dive into the belly of the beast right now? Should we get jiggy with it? I'm going to say no to that one. My God. <laughs> okay. What are you going to talk about, Sam? Today I'm going to talk about the Challenger space shuttle disaster. Ah, so sad. So sad. What are you going to talk about, Allie? I'm going to talk about an equal disaster, which is Nipplegate. Nipplegate. And you guys might not know which Nipplegate I'm talking about, because I guess there's been a few. I don't know that there's been a few. I just feel like nipples are in the news so often. I'm just talking about OG Nipplegate, and that will unfold itself. But we're not there yet, Sam, so oh my God. tell me everything. I will. I will. I did not know a lot about this before I did the research. Like, this story is something I know as generally a very bad thing that happened. Right. But it was kind of before our time. Like, we were both born in 94. Yeah, it's true. And this happened in 86. So, like... Was that right? I thought it happened some... Somehow I thought it happened in the 90s. No, yeah. 86. Yeah. And so, like, the more you learn about it, the more you are just, like, sad and frustrated uh, and that's what we're all gonna feel on this journey, so yeah. let's dive in. Sounds terrible, but perfect for our brand. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yes. Why did we choose this as our brand? I have no idea. Continue. Um, so the year is 1986. Perms are in. Reagan is president. Two bummers. And the Space Shuttle Challenger is about to fly its 10th mission. Yay! So on this mission, the shuttle is planning to observe Halley's Comet for, like, six days while in space. And Challenger is also holding what will be the first teacher to ever go to space, a woman named Krista McAuliffe. Krista McAuliffe. Who I hear is from your neck of the woods. Can I come into that now? Yes, absolutely. So I, this isn't researched at all, but I know that she was born near Framingham, Massachusetts, which, which is where I'm from. And um, she was a teacher in Framingham mm-hmm. for a period of time. So there is a library that bears her namesake in Framingham, the Framingham public Krista McAuliffe library. Yeah. Um, and then I have one more fun fact for you, which I will save for the end of the segment. My God. The end of the segment's sad. I'll cheer you up. Okay. Go. <laughs> I'll cheer you right up with my fun fact. That works for me. So in addition to Krista, the first teacher in space, six other astronauts are manning this Challenger mission to go into space to observe Halley's Comet. Very good. Very excited. So to fully understand what happened with the Challenger, you have to understand a little bit of rocket science. I know that is intimidating. All right, wait. <laughs> but I feel that we are all intelligent binches, and we can do this. Together. Okay. okay. Hold my hand. All right, I will. I hope you guys can hear that we just really clasped Yeah, hands. I hope our mic picked up, <laughs> up how hard we're holding each other's hands right now. So let's talk about rocket science. 
Um, the space shuttle had two solid rocket boosters, which contained a solid propellant that once it kind of took off became a hot, high-pressure gas, which then okay. shoots out the bottom, propels you up in the air, you're flying. Right. And stuff's supposed to, like, break off as you... Yeah. It's... The the shuttle's designed to, like, right. break into sections cool. once you get up there. Cool, 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 So all of that solid propellant is split into four sections in within the, like, rocket booster. And those four sections are separated by a rubber O-ring. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah. The I've O-ring, heard about how this is part of it. Yeah. The O-ring is really important. Because they are the things that stop the hot pressurized gas from escaping and instead force the gas to shoot out the bottom to propel the plane up and not just, like, escape out the sides. Somehow that seems too simple. Like, I feel like it should just be, like, science collides in the air with math and then you're lifted into the air. Yeah. With a sprinkle of, you know, the Lord's blessing. Like, I just feel like it has to be way more complicated than that. Absolutely. And it is, but this is the the way, the only way I could understand it was by explaining it this way. Okay, all right. So NASA contracted out a company called Morton Thiokol to build these very important O-rings for the Challenger. And you have already called this, Allie, and you might have already called this, audience, based on the amount I am currently talking about O-rings, you have all figured out that these O-rings are going to be very important to the story. They are. But the truly horrifying thing is how early NASA scientists flagged that these O-rings were going to be a problem. Uh. So like I mentioned, the Challenger disaster occurred on the Challenger's 10th mission. So as early as 1971, when they were designing the shuttle, people were flagging that these O-rings were going to be a huge point of weakness for the entirety of the shuttle's life. So like, when it comes to space travel... We all know a million things can go wrong, but because of that, there's a hundred million precautions that people take, and, like, almost always, if something goes wrong, there are, like, really clear warning signs, and there's a good way to abort the mission as soon as you see that warning. So, like, you're getting lights, you're getting sounds, like, things are happening in the shuttle to tell you, like, exactly what's wrong and exactly if you can keep flying or not. Okay. In space, which I think is good. I I support it. Yeah, right? That might be controversial, <laughs> but I support that. Absolutely. Um, but, like I said, in 1971, when this Challenger is in the design stage, a report came out that stated, quote, if burn through occurs ad- adjacent to the tank or orbiter, which basically means if the O-rings fail and that pressurized fuel gas can escape, mm-hmm. timely sensing may not be feasible and abort not possible. So, like, everyone would die. Yeah. If most components fail, there is some way to, like, Ah. abort the mission and save them. As early as 1971, they're like, if this one critical piece fails, they're fucked. They're fucked. And they knew that. That's a problem. Unfortunately, it's not like this was brought up in 1971 and then never again. In 1980, a bunch of engineers flagged to their manager that the O-rings weren't working the way that Morton Thiokol said they would. And what was basically happening was, like, under the pressure of, like, what would be space, the rings were supposed to, like, get tighter, but instead they were, like, moving away from each other and created, like, the metal was bending and the rings were moving away from each other and they were creating an air hole, which is obviously very bad because we do not want this highly pressurized gas to escape out the side. Yeah, that's what I would say with my vast (laughs) scientific knowledge. Right? So, like, all these engineers who are building space shuttles and maintaining them are like, hey, like, this is really a problem that these aren't working the way that Morton Thiokol said they would. And the manager fucking, like, 
does not forward this on to anyone, does not talk to Morton Thiokol, does not tell his boss. So, like, the O-rings are just approved for use. Yikes. Even though, like, the people who build the spaceship are like, you shouldn't. <laughs> Please don't. Um, this is really reminding me of the Boston Molasses Flood. Yeah, it's similar in so many yep. ways. So, uh, here's another horrifying thing. These O-rings were used in space. <sighs> so, like, as early as the second flight of the Challenger, these O-rings were in use. And it is literally pure dumb luck that these worked for seven space flights. Like, I don't want dumb luck anywhere near my space travel. Me neither. But it was there. <laughs> which is bad. And then the shuttles would come back and people would inspect them and be like, oh, shit. Like, there's usually- Oh, this thing's hanging on by a fucking thread. Yeah, like, there's usually two O-rings, like, per section. And they'd be like, wow, the first O-ring was totally compromised. Like, luckily the second one held. But, like- Fuck me up. No. Yeah, like, good to know that the first one's just fucking not working. And they did that six more times after the first time. Yeah. And God. then as of 1984, so that's two years before the Challenger disaster, like, Morton Thiokol was actively redesigning how the O-ring worked- but instead of letting everyone know and being like, hey, don't do any more flights until we fix this, they were like, oh, we'll just, like, work on fixing this. You keep going. Keep sending people into space. Yeah. And then, sure. like, once this issue's fixed, like, we'll give you the fix. But, like, no need to fix it now. Definitely not. Definitely don't need to. So that brings us to the 1986 Challenger mission. Aww. So the launch is scheduled, the, the date like moves a lot, but it's ultimately scheduled for January 28th out in Florida. Now, this is Florida, so usually cold weather is not a factor. But unfortunately, it had been an unusually cold January. And they were planning to launch Challenger in the morning, which meant that there wasn't really any time for the sun to warm things up from the extra cold temperatures overnight. So temperatures were around 30 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the minimum temperature for safe launch. Like, Ooh. according to NASA. So they were, like, there. Why didn't they just wait, like, a few hours? Because, because schedule. No. Yeah. I get, I'm sure there are reasons why. Yeah, there are reasons, but they still should have. So they're like, okay, this is, like, technically the minimum safe launch temperature. But the thing that they're not taking into account is that many of the critical elements of the shuttle, such as the O-rings, had never been tested at temperatures that low. So, like, even though in theory the shuttle works that low, like, they had never taken an O-ring and been like, let's cool this to 30 degrees Fahrenheit and make sure that it works. It works. Or, like, we'll freeze it overnight, which is what happened to the shuttle. They were literally getting ice off it in the morning. <gasps> Are you serious? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh there was, like, an ice team that had to go out and get all the ice off it. They were, like, they were never like, we should freeze the O-ring and then see if it still works. So, the engineers at Morton Thiokol, who are good guys, and I only blame upper management for any of this. Fair enough. Were so concerned about how the O-rings were going to hold up in these temperatures. Like, these are the guys who are actively trying to redesign the O-rings. And now it's like, oh, these will be fine at freezing, right? And there's this one guy, Bob Ebling, and he writes a memo that is simply called, Help! In the hopes that other people would actually read it. <laughs> which, Whoa. Which is a huge work mood, I just want to say. I agree, like, yeah. I've definitely so sent emails just that Just slid have been a piece like, of paper across the desk to my boss, like, help. <laughs> help me. I've sent emails that are, like, three exclamation points, and then in the subject line it says, like, reminder, must review. <laughs> I'm a big fan of um, waking up in the dead of night. And sending an email to myself. Nice. <laughs> of like, oh, make sure that you check this. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll accidentally send something to, you know, one of our clients these days. Yeah. And not important. They should be up at 2 a.m. thinking about your worries oh, as well. Oh, for sure. 
So, so poor Bob, he sends this memo that is just called help. But it actually works because Bob's boss then goes to Bob and is like, okay, so NASA's asking me if we're okay to launch if it was 18 degrees the night before. And Bob replies, quote, we are only qualified at 40 degrees. What business does anyone have thinking about 18 degrees? We are in no man's land. <gasps> oh my god. I only respect Bob. I know. Bob's like trying to save these people. I know. And Morton Thiokol listens to Bob and their official recommendation to NASA is that they cancel the mission. Crisis averted. Unfortunately, no. Oh my god. I know, there were so many opportunities to stop this from happening. And I really thought that it was, it was like, oh, this is going to be a case of capitalism, and like, Morton Thiokol's like, oh no, our item is perfect, because we don't want sales to go down. And that's not what's happening that's not here. not necessarily what's happening. So yeah, so NASA just like, did not like that Morton Thiokol was like, you shouldn't launch. And they're like, prove it. Like, tell me what temperature is safe. Like, give me this whole big presentation. And Bob and the Thiokol crew, like, they're trying to launch the next day. So Bob and the crew are like, we don't have time to, like, make a beautiful presentation for you. They're like, fuck, like, all I'm telling you is that you shouldn't use these O-rings past, like, 50 degrees. And you're at 18. Like, yeah. That's, I, I, I can't make you a fancy PowerPoint. Like, that's just what the information I have for you. Oh, my God. And NASA says, and this is a direct quote, quote, I am appalled. I am appalled by your recommendation. My God, Thiokol, when do you want me to launch? Next April? Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> the short answer to that is yeah. And when it and warm, it's like what's on the line? It's not like it's an Amtrak getting people to New York. Like it's <laughs> like it's like you're just going to space to poke around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Really had to see that comet. Oh my god. So NASA's really pissed, and they schedule a second call with Morton Thiokol, but this time they only invite upper management and not any of the engineers, like our friend Bob. The engineers who know what's going on. Yes. Good. Instead, they invite, like, the bosses of the bosses of the engineers. Right. And, of course, after this call, Morton Thiokol changes its recommendation, and they all decide that it is perfectly safe to launch. So, like, that's some capitalism bullshit. That is. But the poor engineers are just like, this is not good. So launch day arrives. It is below freezing, the coldest space shuttle launch ever. And there are literally, like I said, teams working to clear the ice from the ship before launch time. That's so bad. I know. If you had an icy spaceship? I don't want to be any kind of superlative. It's like, I want the fastest <laughs> space launch ever, like... Coldest is a bad one know. in itself. Like, come on. The most improvised space launch <laughs> ever to be. Like, no, I want it to be the most boring, mundane space launch. I know. So simple. So safe. Oh, God. Um, so, Challenger's cleared to launch. No. There's another- Krista, sweet Krista. So there's another horrifying part about this that I'm going to mention right now. Oh. Because sweet Krista, the first teacher in space, is traveling on the Challenger, it is getting huge coverage from the media. Yeah. There's a live stream on CNN. NASA has gone into schools and given them access to a stream, so a lot of school children are watching it live. There's footage of her class. Yeah. Watching it. And a, they, like, later did a test, and about 17% of all Americans were watching the launch live. Oh. And that means that 17% of all Americans saw what happened next live. Oh. I don't mean to cheapen this point, but I have to say there's a lot of parallels to what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these do work they well They really together. do work well together. 
in a weird, sad way. Two televised incidents. Yeah. Please continue. So. I'm so sad. The shuttle takes off. But, of course, the O-rings are so cold. And they already were not working perfectly. Already, the first O-ring was almost always compromised after these missions. So they cannot seal as quickly as they need to to keep the pressurized gas going out the bottom of the rocket. That means that all this hot, pressurized gas escaped from the side and was blasted directly onto the external tank full of liquid oxygen and hydrogen. And that keeps blasting onto this tank until the tank ruptured and ultimately exploded about 73 seconds after the launch. So the rockets continued to blast into the air, and NASA had like a self-destruct button for the rockets that they were able to hit, but the crew cabin broke off. Like you were saying, these things are designed to like break Break into separate pieces. And that's the thing is like when you watch it, you're like, oh, is something wrong? It's hard to tell if something's wrong or not. Exactly. So the crew cabin breaks off by itself. It's 12 miles in the air and it begins to plummet into the Atlantic Ocean. So we know that some of the crew were awake after the initial explosion and separation of the rocket from the crew cabin. Two of the astronauts, Judith Resnick and Ellison Onizuka, activated their personal egress air packs, which are basically like those masks that can fall from airplanes, but like for astronauts. If that makes sense. you even have those? It's like, it's an attempt. So, you know, their packs were found activated. So we know they were awake when stuff started going bad. That's terrifying. And it also seems that one of them activated the pack for the person in front of them, which was the pilot, Mike Smith, which was just very nice of them. Oh. And like, I read, I know, I read one like astronaut talking about it and he was like, we never briefed them on like what to do in this circumstance because like, who would have thought this would happen? So the fact that they not only had like, the presence of mind to do it from themselves, but like, they cared about their made so much to do it for someone else in, like, this life-or-death situation. Yeah, in a split-second yeah. terrifying experience. The astronaut's like, that's heroism to me. It's, like, even yeah. trying to yeah. save the other person in the crew. Um, and it does seem that Mike Smith, the pilot, was awake for a second because he tried, like, some of the toggles were switched that, like, shouldn't have been switched, and it seems like he was trying to, like, get power back to the crew cabin because he didn't obviously understand what had just happened. Right. Um, but... There is no way to evacuate the crew. And they ultimately hit the Atlantic Ocean at roughly 207 miles per hour with an impact that is 200 times the gravity of Earth. So, like, it's just not survivable. And the crew cabin is recovered on March 7th, so that's, like, over a month later. That's a long time. It's a long time. That's over a month later. And because they had been in the ocean for that long... There's no, like, official cause of death. Right, yeah. But luckily, like, the bodies were recovered and returned to their families. They were? Mm-hmm. Wow, I had no idea that happened. And there were some, like... I just kind of assumed that there was, like, nothing. Yeah. So, no, they found the whole cabin in the ocean. Wow. Just to say one more horrifying thing... Let's get it out of the way. The engineers at Morton Thiokol were watching the shuttle take off, and when the disaster happened, they knew exactly what it was. Oh, God. Oh, that's horrible. Apparently, like, bad stuff usually happens in the first 60 seconds. So once they got past there, they were literally like, oh, my God. Like, they're okay. Thank fucking God. 
and then at 73 seconds, oh, this Sam. happened. <laughs> and they I'm were like, dying. Oh, holy shit. That's so sad. Isn't that just the saddest? So, after this disaster, this commission is formed, the Rogers Commission, to figure out what happened. And they basically... <laughs> the fucking <laughs> engineers are like, we know what happened. Yeah. They basically discovered what I told you. That, like, a lot of people had been raising concerns about the O-rings, that that's the thing that failed and caused this disaster, and that the higher-ups at NASA and Morton Thiokol had blatantly disregarded a million warnings. And, like, they absolutely could have averted this. If they just hadn't been determined to stick on schedule. Fuck. I know. So, like, after that, NASA created a new Office of Safety, Reliability, and Quality Assurance. Um, They didn't have that before? Nope. Great. The bummer is, like, and I I originally was gonna um, research the Columbia shuttle disaster, and then I realized that I was, like, mixing up things about the two of them in my brain. So I was like, I'll just do Challenger, because that came first. But all the research is like, surprise, they learned nothing, and then Columbia happened. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah, maybe in another episode, if you want to be sad, I want to talk about that. Uh, Something else that I just found really interesting is that the Challenger disaster is literally used as a case study in whistleblowing and groupthink. So, like, when people study (laughs) those things. Yeah, honestly, though. They talk about the Challenger. Well, because if you think about that, those engineers, if they had drawn, and I'm not really blaming them, but I kind of am, it's like, if they had drawn it out to its natural conclusion, it's like, five, how many people were there? Um, seven. Seven people are going, going to die Mm -hmm. if I don't literally, like, bang pots and pans around, tell the police, like, do whatever I can. Yeah. You know, and I think that there's this sort of, like, oh, well, if I'm just, like, turning the other way, and mm-hmm. if my higher-ups say it's okay, then yeah. whatever, it's if not I, my fault. If I tell my manager and he says, but don't worry like, about no, it. Well, no, well, you just said that it's not safe, and yeah. that they're definitely gonna, like, something's gonna happen. So, like, if you draw your conclusions and, like, people are gonna fucking die, yeah. don't let it happen, no matter what. If you have to, like, streak out onto the field at NASA and be like, no! (laughs) Do that. Do that. Yeah, and that's, like, a message to all of you. Like, if you're worried you're bothering people by raising concerns, think about the engineers at Morton Thiokol. Yes. And friggin' blow that motherfucking whistle. Like, Yeah. And you know what? Like, I'd much rather at the end be like, you know, like, actually, we were fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad, but I, I wouldn't have changed it. I'm so glad that I still brought up those concerns anyways. Yeah. Like, who's going to fault you for it? Maybe some people. Yeah. But don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Listen, listen to, to us. us. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh I'm horrified. God. Yeah, so that's the Challenger disaster. Um, It's really sad. And it's, like I told you, like, the more I read about it, the more I was just like, what the fuck? Like, come yeah, on, you guys. I agree. You're rocket scientists. <laughs> you are literal <laughs> rocket scientists. Help me out here. Honestly. Ah, uh, yeah. So I really, like, the things that I knew about this were, like, I didn't first know teacher half of in that space. Stuff, yeah. And, like, I knew O-rings for some reason. Well, like, Krista McAuliffe is, like, the least of it, really. Yeah. And, I mean, not to diminish her legacy, but mm-hmm. that's not really what the focus of this should be for, you know, yeah. longevity. Um, oh, and I'm poor so Bob from Thiokol. Sweet Bob. <laughs> I hope he forgave himself eventually. I hope he did, too. The poor baby. Do you want to hear my anecdote about Krista McAuliffe? Yes. So give, cheer you up. Let's do the anecdote, and then we can go straight into your topic. Let's do it, which is actually kind of a fucking bummer, I gotta mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, 
so every year, um, Framingham's uh, Hemingway Elementary School has a wax museum where small children stand on top of milk crates and pretend to be a um, figure of prominence. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a little button you can uh, quote-unquote press. Like, you just, like, press a little piece of paper that I drew a circle on. Uh-huh. And I, like, do a little speech for you. And so you get handed out, like, who you're going to be for the Wax Museum. And I think it's for, like, fourth grade. Uh-huh. And it's the biggest fucking deal. Oh, and everyone's yeah. like, I want to be, like, fucking Abraham Lincoln. And I yes. want to be, you know, whoever. And I got Krista McAuliffe. Oh so I was Krista McAuliffe <laughs> in the Hemingway Elementary. And were you just like, Wax I Museum. died. Literally, I think I was like, I was a teacher who went into space, but it didn't work out. And I died tragically. Press the button again to hear me repeat this story. <laughs> um, I also, that reminds me of a time where we had like a, some some kind of like, be a historical person day and I chose Cleopatra. Nice. But I had like I put on like a British accent. I love that. Which like doesn't that sound like third grade me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a vibe. Honestly a true that's vibe. what Elizabeth Taylor and Lindsay Lohan both did. So what does it matter? <laughs> so true. I'm of course Couldn't speaking agree about more. um Lindsay Lohan in her seminal oh take my on God. Elizabeth Taylor in the film Liz and Dick. We need to talk about that soon. <laughs> I'm not horrified by that. I love it and I'm not sorry. <laughs> We've seen it like five times together. <laughs> Frankly, we haven't rewatched it recently enough. I agree. Is it I still agree. on Netflix? Stop that. I'm sorry. We have to I do a show. <laughs> I, you went show. to your computer. Oh god. All right. Talk to me about nipple games. We have more business. Yeah, I'm begging you um, to hear tell me about So the Nipplegate that I'm talking about is about the 2004 halftime show. That makes a lot of particularly sense. Particularly as it relates to Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. Yes. So it's that's not, what we're talking about. It's not Brady's nipples that we're referring to. No, we're not. So for this segment, we will need to journey back to a more wholesome, primitive time, and that time is 2004. Ugh. So we were 10, yes. and little did we know that the greatest viral pop culture moment up to that point in history was just waiting to happen. Um, I don't even know if I was Chris McAuliffe in the Wax Museum yet. Oh my god. Oh, also, it was 2004, so we were still three years away from Leave Britney Alone. <laughs> my so god. that cultural moment hadn't happened yet, so this was even more defining. Uh, we had so much ahead of us. <laughs> I know. So it's 2004, and it's time for the Super Bowl. And I don't know anything, anything about the football happenings that year, because I sincerely could not care less. Um, I am here for the nips and the nips alone. Yeah. Um, also, I should say that I got almost all this information from one particular Rolling Stone article by Daniel Kreps entitled, Nipple Ripples, 10 Years of Fallout from Janet Jackson's Halftime Show. <laughs> Which is too much for me. But, um, what right, a title. right off the bat, it's Janet Jackson's show, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's not Janet and Justin's, and we're not taking into account something that I'll talk about later, which is that they were singing his song mm. during his segment. No, no. No, no, no. No. We move on. So it's February 1st, 2004, and the halftime show for Super Bowl number, I don't, I don't know. They always do them in Roman numerals. Yeah, XVI. I know, and it's like, I, I already don't care. <laughs> so, like, this is even more confusing. So the halftime show includes quite a few performers, including Nelly, really? Diddy, and Kid Rock. <laughs> a real bastion of talent. That's the Holy Trinity, if <laughs> Honestly. I ever. The and Father, so, the Son, and the Holy Ghost honestly. right there. <laughs> I'm dying. Okay, so fun fact for you here. Kid Rock was already stirring up the pot because he came out wearing, and I shit you not, 
This is true. An American flag that he had ripped into a poncho. <laughs> so people were like, oh, you're desecrating the flag, Kid Rock. Little did they know in I know. ten short minutes. Oh, God. But, like, I'm curious about why we were not talking about that for, like, 17 months after the fact. Um, also, this goes without saying, but Kid Rock, I'm horrified. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ding, ding, ding away. Everything God. about him is just the worst. So uh, Janet comes on and she does her song. She does her segment. Which is actually the penultimate segment, because Justin Timberlake is closing the show. Very important. He's Remember that. And she's rocking it because she's Janet fucking Jackson. She's very talented. So then Justin Timberlake comes on. And again, somehow the narrative got co-opted and turned it into her show, but it never was. If anything, it was his show, and she was just, like, also there singing yeah. a duet with him for the last song. But moving on. The it, was, end it was Rock Your Body, right? Yeah, so the end of the performance is Justin Timberlake singing Rock Your Body, which, regardless of its cultural impact following this event, is a true banger. Absolutely. Um, it's it, For me, it's like, Senorita. Yes. It's um, What Goes Around. Summer Love is my favorite. Summer Love, Rock Your Body is right up there, top Right five. up there. Um, and as anyone who was anyone in 2004 will be able to tell you, the last lyric of that song is... Gonna have you naked by the end of this song. Bounce, ounce, ounce. Wow, all right, that's enough. <laughs> um, so, as part of the choreography, it seems he goes to her bustier, like uh-huh. she's wearing this like outfit, and rips off the leather panel covering her right breast. So let's slow it down for a second. Let's go slow mo. Let's go slow mo. For context, she was wearing a black, like, rubber leather bustier over, like, a red lace top or bra. Like, there was, like, red lace peeking out from under the bustier. Implying that there's a bra under there. Yes. So what was supposed to happen in theory is that she was wearing all black, and he rips off the black leather panel to reveal this, like, red, and it's, like, you know, just a saucy. Yeah. You know. Because it's... Her bra's out. Yeah, exactly. And it's, like, a bold color, so you could see it. And it was supposed to be, like, a big moment. Yada, yada. It's the finale. Exactly. But what actually happened became television and boob history. Justin pulled off an entire panel of clothing, and her breast was exposed for nine sixteenths of a second. That's so short. After a moment, she realizes what happened... And uses her hand to cover herself up. And JT also is visibly appalled. And, like, you can see him realize what happened. Mm -hmm. And then they cut away. So that's the Mm play-by-play. To use a football term. (laughs) Sounds like a mistake on all sides. Uh Uh-huh. So what happens after this is that the world collectively flips its shit and explodes. (laughs) Um, Janet Jackson leaves Houston immediately which I didn't mention that was where the Super Bowl was because, I repeat, I did not care. <laughs> um, so, bef- like, before the Super Bowl is even over, she pieces out, which I would do. And her people released a statement for her that it was a wardrobe malfunction and that it was, like, a late addition to the last rehearsal to do the stunt at all, and CBS and MTV didn't know anything about it because they were, like, trying to do something with her skirt, like, he was going to pull like, a panel off her skirt, and that was going to be part of the wardrobe rig, and it wasn't working, so they decided to do this instead. Uh But it was a late addition, and that's why it didn't work, and it was an accident. Sounds totally normal, right? Yeah, I buy that. I absolutely do, too. Uh, Over 200,000 people called the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, to complain about this incident. Mm -hmm. That's so... Nine sixteenths of a second, and that many people called? Yeah. 
Well, it was a nipple, Sam. <laughs> it was the devil's eyeball. <laughs> so now let's get into the fallout of this incident. My God. The NFL is furious that CBS and MTV overshadowed their precious ball-kicking evening. <laughs> And say that they will likely never produce another halftime show. So, like, they're like, CBS and MTV, they're out. My God. And I'll let Rolling Stone take it from there. Quote, CBS and MTV's parent company, Viacom, angered that an unannounced addition to the Super Bowl performance, so the ripoff, uh-huh. um, has now cost them all future halftime shows, hits back at Jackson by essentially blacklisting her, keeping her music videos off their properties, MTV, VH1, and radio stations under their umbrella. The blacklist spreads to include non-Viacom media entities as well. Damn. Yeah. So Janet Jackson has been blacklisted from basically every music television station and most major radio stations. Now you may ask, what happened to JT? I know what happened to JT. Absolutely fucking nothing. White man. (laughs) Yep, Yep. nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing happened to him. Janet Jackson made a statement following the controversy where she apologized once and then was, like, pressed a thousand other times to, like, keep apologizing. Like, don't you have something to say to the American public? And to her fucking credit, she refused to apologize again after that first initial statement. And she said, quote, It's truly embarrassing for me to know that 90 million people saw my breast and then to see it blown up on the internet the size of a computer screen. But there are so much worse things in the world, and for this to be such a focus, I don't understand, end quote. I strongly agree, Jan. Absolutely. Retweet. <laughs> Was Twitter a thing? I no, don't I don't think so. So she, like, put this in perspective immediately, mm-hmm. and no one listened to her. But it's like, that's the shortened end of it. It's like, this was really embarrassing, but why are you talking about it? So also, you may remember that CBS also sponsors the Grammys. Mm. That year, um, the Grammys were after the Super Bowl. And they rescinded Janet Jackson's invitation to attend. What? So she was invited and they rescinded her invitation. Shit. Now, Sam, I'm sure again you're asking yourself, what happened to JT? Well, this time the answer's not nothing. Oh? Thankfully, he was still invited and also won two awards that year. What the fuck? Yeah. He's the one who pulled the bra cup off. Oh, we'll get to it. In a continually amazing show of strength and resilience in the face of bullshit, Janet goes on SNL two months after the halftime show and, like, pokes fun at herself in one of the sketches and, like, kind of owns it. And, like, can you imagine that? Like, the most mortifying moment of your life and you're going out and you're making your own and you're sort of, like, co-opting the narrative still. Mm-hmm. That's fucking amazing. And, and she so deserves quickly ma- after, Yeah, too. she deserves major props for that because I would just bury myself in a hole. And I'm sure that's what she wanted to do. Yeah. But, you know, she's a performer, she's a survivor, she really handled this in an amazing way, even Mm -hmm. though she didn't deserve it. Still. So in the midst of all this, the FCC slammed CBS with a half million dollar fine for the incident. This is the largest fine ever of its kind for, like, indecent behavior on TV. It was an accident! Well, yeah, and thankfully this is, like, the one logical, rational thing, is that it gets thrown out immediately because it's ridiculous. They're like, yeah, it was a malfunction... You're not going to get half a million dollars. Sorry. Um, So to give you a sense of the long-lasting impact of this incident, I'm going to tell you a few things. Okay. Janet Jackson herself was the most searched term, event, and person in history at the time on the internet. From that year and many years beyond. This incident coined the phrase wardrobe malfunction. I thought it did. Yes. That just, like, was crazy to me. Another thing is that people's desire to see what had happened again and again after that split-second exposure led to a spike in TiVo sales, 
TiVos were the genesis of DVRs. Yeah. And that kind of launched the mainstream nature of the DVR. Damn. Yeah. Let me up the ante on you a little bit. Three employees at PayPal, disappointed that they couldn't find footage of the incident, went on to develop a video sharing website that we now know as YouTube. Yeah, YouTube only exists because weird guys wanted to see her nips. Literally. That I Literally. knew. And what the fuck, man? Yeah, I cannot with men. So there's so much more to this than I even knew about at the time. When I was an elementary schooler, I was just, like, drowning in references and discussion about this at school. Like, this was literally all anyone talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember this kind of mania? Yeah. Like, it's all people talked about at school. It's a nipple. I, uh, <laughs> it's like, what I keep saying, it's like, just, it's a nip. It's just one nip. It's just nip. one nip. It's not even both nips. Yeah. Maybe, um, call me when it's both nips, you know? I know. Then I'll get out of bed. Wake me up. I'll get out of bed for less than two nips. No, yeah, but like, for what seemed like actual years, and the entire time, there was just one person at the forefront, bearing the accusations, the inquiry, the blame, and the shame. And bearing her breast. And bearing her breast. <laughs> and that's Janet Jackson. Yeah. So something that happened during Justin Timberlake's song, because of Justin Timberlake's physical actions, because of an idea that they both came up with, they they came forward to say that it was they had that, this idea and they did it together, dropped a fucking bomb on this woman's life and career and did absolutely nothing to damage Timberlake in the slightest. Yeah. And we all know why that is. Because women are sneaky mm-hmm. and slutty and because they play the victim, mm-hmm. and because, you know, they're always trying to manipulate things, and because this country licks its fucking lips when they get a sh- get to shish kebab a woman in yeah. any way. Like, yeah. we're so excited to do that. 100%. Let alone, Justin Timberlake is white, and Janet is a person of color. Absolutely. So that just magnifies the problem by, like, Absolutely. 175%. And this country just loves to put women of color, people of color, and, you know, women in general, like, on the chopping block. Yes. Um... But no man has ever made a mistake. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Gina Jackson, because of what was pretty obviously and rationally an accident, had her body exposed to millions of people without her consent to it. And, like, this is the larger picture that I really think that we need to start talking about at this point. It's like, we live in a pop culture world that loves that that happened, but hates her for letting it happen. Yeah. And that is such a fucking, like, double bind, which is a term we learned on Are We There Yet? when we were watching Perfect Blue. Oh my god, guys. But it's a complete double bind. It's like, this country loved that incident, that exposure of a woman's body without her consent, so much that YouTube was invented. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, this country is so jazzed the fuck up to look at a naked woman's body without her wanting us to, that this became the cornerstone of pop culture for nearly a decade. And her name became synonymous with what happened to her. And Justin Timberlake is allowed to live completely free of the situation, soaring through the charts, becoming a movie star, remaining a Hollywood darling. And for some reason, no matter how many years go by, Janet Jackson is still being reduced to that nine sixteenths of a second. Ugh. And Justin did the Super Bowl again. I know. Yep, he did. And Janet's... Banned for life. What the fuck? Yep. Ugh. Ugh. So yeah, that's Nipplegate for you. Ugh. Ugh. Disgusted. I'm grossed out. Yeah, and, like, I'm not even gonna get in to, I mean, I'm obviously mentioning it, so I'm getting into it, but, like, I really didn't want to discuss, like, all the weird things. Like, well, people were like, oh, well, she has a piece of jewelry on her nipple, so clearly, like, she wanted us to see that. And it's like, or she just had, like, a piece of fucking jewelry on her mm-hmm. body that wasn't for you to look at. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It just, I think, is really indicative of how ready people are when something bad happens to a woman's body 
to say that that woman wanted it mm-hmm. and that it was her idea and that it was her fault and that she bears the blame, especially women of color, obviously, like, just, like, the the culture we live in is so ready to just, like, come in and be like, oh, this is your fault, actually. Yeah. Um, and why? Like, why? Why, 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 why? Um, and it's something that I just genuinely can't deal with anymore for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've been seeing in the news and everything, I just, like... It's like, I know why, but I keep asking, like, why? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, but I think you have to keep asking why. Like, I think yeah. the day that we stop being like, this is fucked up, is a sad, bad day. Right. As much as it hurts to keep asking why. Which, like, it physically does sometimes. Yep, it does. It physically hurts. Like, you have to keep asking it. Or else you yeah. become... Or else, like, you get used to it and you become complacent. And I think a lot of, for so much of history, a lot of people, and, you know, not just women, any kind of marginalized group who's just been living in a fucking shitstorm has had to just be like, this is fine, mm-hmm. because this is how life is. And it's, you know, in, not recently, like, the last ten years, but, like, the last decades, like, the last century mm-hmm. or so, where people have started being like, no, this is actually fucked up. Yeah. And so, yeah, I value that, <laughs> even though it's exhausting. So the past couple of decades, centuries, etc. have been more exhausting, I think, for those groups, but I... Maybe good overall. I think it's, I think it's been helping to push us forward, so never stop asking what the fuck. Yeah. That's a good message. That's a good something to take from Nipplegate. Yes. Support Janet Jackson. Yeah. Janet Jackson is a fucking warrior. Can we put on nasty? (laughs) Yes. We are going to, so this is what we're going to do, audience. We're going to go. You don't have to join us, but you can. Get in some comfy PJs and just really grind it out to nasty. That sounds like we're going to have sex. We're not going to. (laughs) Um, And if we do, it's none of your business. (laughs) Yeah, how dare you guys for trying to get into our bedroom. I know. Um, And then after that, can we listen to Thank You Next by Ariana Grande? Yes. Thank you. Next. Yes. Um, That's a banger. It's a banger. It's from Bangor, Maine. (laughs) You like that one? No, I don't like that one. (laughs) I'm going to keep that in, though. (laughs) So, well, I guess you know what we're going to do for the rest of the evening. We hope you do that, too. Tweet at us your favorite Janet Jackson song. Please. And just, just keep investigating why we hate women Mm -hmm. and women of color and why society keeps trying to bring everyone down who isn't already at the top. Why capitalism is a failing mechanism. Oh, yeah. Why Bob can't sleep at night anymore. God, I hope he can, because he really did a lot. Did he do enough, though? Ugh, that's what Bob asks himself. I know. If Bob is out there listening, uh, do we forgive you? I don't know. But then again, sometimes you just have to, again, listen to the sage words of Ariana Grande and, like, just keep breathing. And I think with that... Mm. We hope that this week you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Duh.